Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, August 18th, 2022, and it is actually Thursday, August 18th, 2022. We are now once again doing the podcast on the day that we release it as opposed to yesterday's, which you may remember uh, had a slightly unhinged quality to it as we were doing it late at night with with some with some um, fermented beverages at our side which we do not have today although i do have a very stiff cup of coffee next to me and with me as always executive editor abe greenwald hi abe hi john media commentary columnist christine rosen hi christine hi john and associate editor and author of the rise of the new puritans and guest tomorrow night on bill maher's real time on hbo noah rothman hi noah hi john um so it's very, uh, very dramatic, uh, out of nowhere story yesterday that uh, um, uh, Rochelle Walensky, I keep wanting to call her Claire Walensky because there was a long ago HHS official in the first Bush administration called Claire Walensky. And so I am haunted by the fact that there is another Walensky, Rochelle Walensky, who is the head of the center's for disease control and basically announced that there needed to be as a result of a commission that she had established radical revisions in the structure makeup point of view and approach of the cdc in the wake of covid and i think also implicitly in the immediate and it's not wake because it's still going on uh, apparently, the catastrophic mishandling of the monkeypox uh, uh, epidemic. Um, so it is a very interesting thing. And most of the people that I've talked to on different sides of the conversation about the public health system and our federal government system, um, everybody seems to think that the plan, as she has laid it out, is good it's it's solid it's uh thought through and uh and that you know as far as it goes it's a good thing that there is actually going to be reform and the reform is going to be led by the person at the top of the agency um <clears throat> because you know she's going to have to drag the bureaucracy along behind her i don't want to get into the details that much but i mean the most striking question that i have about this based on reading about it is does it really address the actual problem that people that created the crisis of confidence in our public health system as led by the cdc so the proposal as it stands basically says we need to reorient the centers for disease control away from an academic framework in which you are rewarded as an official of the cdc for the academic work that you do while you are there the papers that you publish and the data sets that you assemble painstakingly over a long period of time in favor of intervention in crises and disasters and health problems as they are going on. So uh, a bias in favor of action as opposed to fact or data gathering. Now, here's the thing. Like, I wasn't aware that that was the problem with what happened with COVID was that they were slow because everybody there is biased in favor of collecting a lot of data for papers 
and then publishing them and then getting a promotion at the CDC. This was, there was a unique once in a century crisis in the agency that was the lead, tasked with the lead of handling this matter in terms of the federal government response, handled it badly. Is that why it handled it badly? Well, maybe in some fundamental perceptual sense, it is because the agency's personnel simply weren't attuned were given it weren't given the proper incentives to throw you know drop everything and focus their attention on this and change the way that they did things on the other hand wh why would that be the case like everybody in the country dropped everything stopped working lost their job put on masks their kids stayed home from school they didn't go anywhere they couldn't fly on planes they you know couldn't see their in-law they couldn't go to nursing home all this and then everybody in Atlanta is just like, well, I guess I'm I'm collecting data for my papers. Does that strike you guys as being an actual? I mean, again, I, I didn't do the study. I, this guy McCray did the study, but is, I don't know. That's like, okay, that's probably a good thing to fix. But is that what needs to be fixed? I read through a lot of uh, what the what the proposals are, and I saw very little that addresses what I think needs to be fixed, which is I think really two points. Um, one of which is stop politicizing what you're doing. Okay. But this is, you know, Noah's stay in your lane point. Um, and the other is don't come out with some sense of certainty about X or Y when you really don't know what's going on. Um, because there, because that is the beginning of miscommunication, because then you're going to have to walk it back. Then there are going to be questions that you can't answer. And then people will, will lose uh, trust in you. I mean, I think that the, part of the problem here is which criticisms is this intended to respond to? Right. There, there are people who say, well, they needed to do much more. Um, that's not us exactly. And that seems to be who this is geared at. Um, that's there's also I just want to add that we don't have to dwell on it, but there's also some um, diversity stuff in the in the proposed changes. Right. They're going to they're going to they need to hire more with the with the uh, with the goal of diversifying uh, the staff. Um, this. So there's a lot in it to me that seems geared towards we need to fix our image. That's um, and that's not really what we're concerned about. I, I think you really should dwell on that. Uh, uh, e EID. Yeah, that's the EID yeah. stuff, because I did not read about that. There are two I read the Times story and there were two really gobsmacking things that stood out to me in, in the Times story that did speak to what you the impression you got. Abe. Uh, the first one that made my eyes bulge was um, this idea of a new executive team that will be created to set priorities and make decisions about how the agency will spend its $12 billion annual budget towards, quote, a bias toward public health impact, as opposed to what? What were you doing previously? Um, it talks basically about speeding up the delivery of data. And John, as you said, this data for action versus data for publication, which smacks of, you know, we're we're just too academic. We're we're simply too scholarly here. We need to really get on the ground, boots on the ground and talk to you. Um, but one of the problems that the Times said they would encounter is the quote, that they lack the legal authority to compel state and local health departments to deliver public health data. You sure do. You don't have the legal authority to compel anyone to do much of anything. Is that the impediment to the efficacy of the CDC? 
when has it ever been except for in the last two years in the minds of progressives? And then lastly, the pandemic itself is another impediment because the CDC's Atlanta complex is abandoned. It's a ghost town. It's the last scene in the final episode of the first season of The Walking Dead. Why? Why? If you gotta, if you gotta be so much more engaged in this public health campaign, the first step I would imagine would be to be physically present. There, so it, the image thing to me was the most striking. And I think uh, both of you have hit on uh, the reason why they're doing this. You know, you always read about these celebrity couples when their marriage is in crisis, they announce very grandly that they're going to have a renewal of the vows, right? And you know that means that divorce is going to happen within a year of the renewal of any vows of celebrities. It's like a rule of celebrity. Reading all this puffery about how, oh, yes, how bold and brave Rochelle Walensky, she's going to, you know, it's a renewal of the vows for the CDC. And I see only doom ahead because this idea that the problem was that they, as you said, no, oh, we were too scholarly. That's ridiculous. Uh, Let's just look at masking, for example. None, none of the studies that they based all their sweeping and often draconian regulations on were randomized control studies. And when those studies started to come in throughout the course of the pandemic, they downplayed them. They completely ignored them. They made political choices based on what the Biden administration wanted to see happen with masking. That was a clearly political act. The idea that they should, that, that this is an image problem or a communication problem, I found it very condescending for them to be like, oh, the science is so complicated in the American people just don't understand it the way we do. So we have to have better communication skills. No, you don't. You just need to not be uh, you know, completely hypocritical in what you're advising people to do. And to Noah's point, the last point you made, I think it's really crucial to remember that during the pandemic, post-George Floyd riots, we had a huge argument made, and it's still wending its way through this entire scholarly and bureaucratic system, that you know, racism is a public health issue. Gun violence is a public health issue. There's a there's a really uh, strong effort in play right now among progressive activists to redefine what are public health issues, which would then cede more power to make policy and to meddle in local regulations and all kinds of mischief that we saw the CDC start to do during the pandemic with emergency powers. They would like to keep those permanent. And that is a problem both for federal from federalism standpoint and also effectiveness standpoint. That is not their job. So my my concern is and again we haven't read the report which hasn't been released we only know what Rochelle Walensky said yesterday about the report and then whatever background reporting there has been so far um is that this this might incline the CDC to be more politicized rather than less and we see we have no indication that the politicization question was even addressed in this report by which I mean um uh was what is the story with the National Education Association and its meeting with Rochelle Walensky in terms of guidance in relation to schools? We know that that meeting happened. We have had there's been a lot of reporting about what was said and what was discussed and how the CDC's own policies changed or were affected by that conversation, which was probably, Uh, imposed upon the CDC by the White House, dealing with its most important constituent lobby group with the largest number of so, but it was the AFT. So the American Federation Excuse of me, Teachers, the AFT, I apologize. they met with them. They're the, they're smaller than the right. the other union, which is the right. biggest okay. one. That's yeah. right. I'm sorry. That's right. But Randy so, Weingarten. But I mean, yeah. More politically engaged than the other one. Yeah. Right. But, but exactly. So there's the, right. There's the NEA and the AFT, but we can presume that the AFT is, 
uh, view was congruent with the with the NEA's view. And you're talking about four million members of these two unions together, thus forming a kind of. I mean, probably the largest single voting block. Yeah. And they did give the guidance to yeah. both union leaders, right. but it was okay. like the meetings were usually. Right. So so there are different concerns, again, b- b- back to the two bodies of public opinion. Right. So the one is why. Why didn't we save more? Why wasn't the public health system in the United States good enough, fast enough, fleet enough, or skilled enough to save more lives than were were saved? It's this thing that Michael Lewis refers to in his book, The Premonition, as the missing Americans. That if you sort of, if you take data about other countries, European countries, and then you apply them to the United States, it would appear that about 180,000 more people died in the United States than died in our population terms. Like if if things had been the way they were in other countries, 180,000 fewer people would have died. Is that because their public health system was better than ours? Probably not. Is there something about our system that made us uniquely susceptible to COVID, what would that have been? Was it, you know, obesity? Because we're obviously the most obese nation nation in the country. Was it diabetes? We're the most diabetic nation, uh, you know, in the world. We don't know, and what we and and what we look to. This is this is what the CDC is supposed to do. Instead, yeah, it found itself in the position of saying, "Don't evict people from their apartments." Why was that a mission of the CDC? And my fear is that this this reorientation of the CDC would lead to more don't evict people from their apartments and less what do we do about the comorbidity problem? I mean, the central longitudinal data crisis, I think, involved in our interpretations of this pandemic are that we have been focused on for various reasons including the AFT and the NEA and all that there's been a was a very large focus on the idea that children were either at risk or were at risk of being carriers of the disease and would kill older people and from a very early point in the pandemic it was already the data were already suggesting that that was simply not the case that something very unusual had happened here that this was the first pandemic in human history that was not aimed at children that was not going at children first right every other one that we know of including ones that aren't as you know viral like i mean so polio and the and the spanish influenza and stuff like that Children have compromised immune systems. They're not fully developed, babies in particular. So it was perfectly understandable in the early going for everybody to freak out about children and say, oh, my God, they're uniquely at risk. And because of the infectious quality of COVID, we've got to keep them away from their grandparents. But so that was March of 2020 by, I don't know, probably August of 2020. It was entirely clear that that was not an issue, that these numbers were 40 kids under the age of 18 had died and 60,000 people over the age of 65 had died. I mean, that there was even no, no even statistical 
way to calculate the size, the, the, the minuscule size of the threat to people from the ages of zero to 18. Now, what we don't know is, is it going to mutate? Is there some reason that that's the, whatever, right? But that is the big thing that, and so they've been academic-y, too academic all along. Well, didn't they even do that? I mean, I'm not an academic, but that's that's a data set. And, you know, they have their morbidity and mortality report and all of that. And that's what this shows. And uh, they still are pretending that there is a great threat to children, pretending or assuming or, you know, whatever whatever verb you want to give so that you don't assume that there's some malign well, she was the one, here. remember, Rochelle Walensky, before summer camp started last summer, when kids actually, for the first, like, the, the very first moment when a lot of America's children would have had a chance to actually resume some sort of normal activity after a year of lockdown, she said publicly, oh, I'm just terrified, I'm terrified. I mean, my whole problem with this I, I feel a, a sense of doom A sense on, of doom, exactly. Which is very so, sciencey, very scholarly. She, yeah, she cannot, she, if, if she really cared about the, the reputation of our public health institutions in this country, the first thing she should do is resign. She cannot be the person who is in charge of a cultural shift when she inculcated a culture that did, that did the opposite of what she now claims to want, namely accountability. It's not a communications issue, it's an accountability issue, and they never took it. People were being banned from social media platforms left and right for saying things that two weeks later, the CDC would just announce, you know, on a on a cable news show like, oh, yeah, by the way, the vaccine doesn't do this or does do that. I mean, the lack of accountability for the people who had power to do to change people's lives. That's where if she was truly accountable. She would step down and they would bring someone else in. That's how you overhaul an institution like that. Well, that's an interesting point. So we have here is a kind of bureaucratic ass covering on her part that she is going to champion the very revisions exactly. of the agency. And let's talk about timelines here. OK, so uh, COVID hit the United States in earnest or the you know U.S. response hit in the middle of March in 2020. Donald Trump left office. What is that? Nine months later. Right. So. He was president for nine of these horrible months in which he behaved very recklessly and weirdly and and inconstantly and and only added to the sense of confusion and upset and and was not a trustworthy spokesman and all of that. And those criticisms are real and we shouldn't sort of go back and try to retcon it into, you know, no, he did better than Biden because he did really badly and he deserved to have the judgment of the American people on his head about how he handled it and, and how he did not get, give us a sense of how we might either feel safe or that we were in serious hands handling it. But Biden has now been president for 18 months. So Biden has been president for twice as long as Trump. He was president when the vaccines went, you know, went, uh, started becoming readily available he was president for all these guidance moments. He was president when Rochelle Wilentz, when they announced that they were releasing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and then they de-released the Johnson. Remember the whole thing with the uh, maybe men, under, maybe people under 30, men under 30 shouldn't take the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So it's like, 
great. Maybe you should have thought of that before or stopped saying that, you know, the vaccines were all going to save us or I don't know what, like whatever, or was the data set. Or that the vaccines would right. prevent transmission. That was the big message they, you know, that that had to disappear when the evidence became clear, but they didn't acknowledge that they had misled people on that. Well, I mean, again, it may not be misleading. Like one of the things here is that there was clearly a lot of overpromising in relation to the vaccines, only in the sense that I still think, you know, you were a fool not to get vaccinated last year when you needed to get vaccinated. And that all the evidence suggests that if you were vaccinated and you got some variant, that the variant was much milder, you were not at risk of death, that that we were, it remains the case that people who are dying from COVID now, as a result of this uh, Omicron B5, uh, are unvaccinated people. But, you know, there's weird, so, so you know, the vaccine, it was at least protective if it was not interruptive, or maybe it was interruptive of the Delta variant, but they, all they had were data on the Delta variant, and they couldn't prove that it would, it you know, that that any mutation wasn't going to be able to elude the transmission problem. But they made no announcement to that effect because, again, they were looking at something else. They were looking at, well, we don't want to not get people, not have people get vaccinated. And now, again, getting back to kids. So we're now in the position where nobody is getting their kids vaccinated. I mean, the the stats are startling, right? I mean, I think it's well under 10% of kids under five have been vaccinated. And they are still talking about kind of punishing those children in some fashion for not being vaccinated when the reason that parents aren't getting them vaccinated is that they don't need to be vaccinated. They do not need to be vaccinated. They need to be vaccinated for mumps, for measles, for rubella, they need to be vaccinated for a whole bunch of other things that now, because of this vaccine controversy, they're not getting vaccinated for, which is terrifying. But they don't need to be vaccinated for COVID. We have two and a half years of data that say they do not, kids under five do not have to be vaccinated for, for COVID. Indeed, we have data that suggests kids under 18 don't need to be vaccinated for COVID. But and other fine. countries so, are not vaccinating I mean, their under fives. Yeah. Recalcitrance, yeah. bureaucratic inertia, uh, inertia is a thing and it stinks but i'm forgiving of it to a certain degree um even as you said mostly with the kids stuff um and confusing you know suggestions and what have you is is also another thing that i think is not great but not indicative of an agency that's just utterly rudderless and needs to total overhaul what the cdc did wrong and that was inexcusable and inexplicable as we've said a couple of times, but needs emphasis, is the extent to which they demonstrated that they are totally subject to political um, political nudging. And that whatever the guidance is, if it doesn't comport with the political objectives of the moment of the, the governing class, that that can be jettisoned. A couple of examples, Walensky coming out very early in her tenure, uh, and saying, you know, we, the vaccine mandates for schools are not necessary. Got a big public backlash against that and backtracked. Um, in July, there was this uh, new COVID regulations that actually for vaccinated people actually were looser. And there was a big backlash against it. Anthony Fauci going out on TV saying the CDC messed up here and uh, they need to reinstate the guidance. And then the CDC came out with this new set of guidelines, which were functionally indistinct from the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, that you could go outside 
if you were vaccinated where when they had said just the opposite a week or so ago and it was so patently obviously a response to political pressure from pressure groups that we would associate with uh, the elite you know, people who are in, in positions of authority and power and if that's that's the that's what they projected to the public that it wasn't public health that they were interested in and invested in advancing dispassionately and without fear or favor that it was maintaining their um their influence and authority on capitol hill and in washington and capitol hill and washington are in kind of bad odor so yeah public health is now in something of bad odor they did that to themselves and as christine said there needs to be accountability for it i'm not sure what that would look like because the guy coming up behind rochelle walensky probably isn't much of a reformer himself or herself but nevertheless an acknowledgement as abe said really early on that this was politicized and nakedly so and everybody knows it and to tap dance around that to fail to acknowledge that is to fail to address public concerns so the public concerns will persist see i think it's worth i mean i think you that's a that's a that's an absolutely superb summation but there is one wrinkle in it which is that they acted on the political messages and orders from the white house we know that you you referred to or whatever where it's sort of mood changes in you know what seems to be politically standard you mentioned these two things with walensky we had uh the again the 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 teachers union stuff and all of that but you know you say to me this is an agency of the federal government. It's 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 uh, the head of the agency is appointed by the president. Of course, it's a political agency. That's fine. I accept that. I accept that. I even accept that Joe Biden, as the as the winner of the election, can to to some extent say, "Look, in my worldview, racism is a public health crisis, and so we're going to." You know, the health system hasn't taken account of the, you know, wildly increased numbers of, you know, diabetes among black men because we don't focus enough on that or this condition or that condition. And so I am going to redirect resources at the CDC to handle stuff like that. Right. That's that's part of the political remit of the president. What what gets me is the idea that the CDC gets to pretend and Fauci, who is not the CDC, obviously, but gets to pretend that decisions that they are making and things that they are doing that are nakedly political aren't, and that if you question them or raise questions about them, you are you hate science, you are opposed to good things, and you want people to die. And John, that is why people came to hate the public health system in the United States, because all they were doing was exercising their constitutional right to raise questions about quest about things that were not settled. And then basically the media and these people told them that they had no business. They should shut up. They should go back in their homes and close the doors and seal them lest they kill other people. And you don't get to question them because they're doctors or something. John, when they said that racism was a public health emergency, Biden wasn't president. Right. This wasn't there. They weren't taking orders from from the president who who was in charge of them. They were responding to public sentiment um, and in a way that 
put themselves deliberately in the culture wars. That's what they were doing it, in, in, a, in a part of the culture wars that has nothing to do with their remit. Right. I was actually just using that as an example. In other words, the president, like anything else, if the president says we should we should, you know, we should uh, elevate the Navy over the Air Force. Right. That's in his that's in his, you know, our his quiver, you know, like to 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 redirect the focus of agencies that are part of the executive branch. So I was just saying, using that as an example or to say, you know what, I want to devote 75 percent of the CDC's budget to the extent that it's discretionary and it's not all, you know, targeted by Congress to uterine cancer. I mean, I'm just using he that is what it means to be an executive agency and to be run by the, you know, chief executive of the United States. One of the first of all, the, the absence of Congress from this conversation is one of the biggest problems that we're experiencing right now. These agencies are remain and the executive branch remains hostage to this pandemic. The fact that the CDC's headquarters in Atlanta is abandoned is evidence of that. The fact that Joe Biden is intending on, if he hasn't already, extending the national emergency around COVID well into 2023 is evidence of that. Um, there's a fear of a real retrospective look at what happened during this pandemic, what we got right, what we got wrong. Uh, and we can't engage in that until the pandemic is behind us. So they don't want to let go of the pandemic. There's a concern that I've heard among my left-leaning peers that to do so, they haven't said this outright, but they're implying it. To do so, to do this retrospection on what we got right, what we got wrong, maybe trying to find many hundreds of billions of dollars that we lost in this process, um, would be to undermine faith in the public response to this and collective action generally. And to do that would would uh, undermine an already shaky foundation uh, that the our, our social compact rest on. And I find that to be utterly unconvincing and rather foolish, as though oversight is not a function of government. One of the primary functions of government and to fail to do so would be to sacrifice the authority of these agencies and to undermine public confidence in elected officials and executive agencies and the instruments of self-government. Um, to fail to address what we got right as well as what we got wrong is part and the, the reticence to even engage that topic uh, a reluctance rather to engage in that topic uh, is suggests that they're afraid of what we might find and what the consequences would be for the people who maybe don't come out looking like a smelling like a rose at the end of this thing. Well, guess what? That's part of what it means to be a self-governing society. And if we abandon that, it's not as though oversight won't happen. It's just you won't have any control over it. The institutions that will perform this act in your absence, Congress, uh, are going to do a lot of things that you don't like and can't control. Well, they and I don't think it's a coincidence that this big accountability PR push on the on the part of the CDC comes when they are really now getting even in the mainstream media some pressure about their response to the monkeypox virus. Right? They they've completely bungled the next thing. Right? We're supposed to have whatever lessons they're supposedly have learned from COVID have not taken because they've made the same series of ridiculous uh, not just mismessaging but mishandling of vaccination rollout of you know uh, identifying high risk groups because they didn't want to offend people so everybody could be at risk. You know, fear mongering that actually undermines the the point of their agency, which is to protect the public health of the most vulnerable groups whenever there's some sort of uh, 
virus like this. So that I I think there is also uh, they're quite good at PR. I'm not sure they should be spending more money on messaging because they use it right now very effectively to draw attention away from the mistakes they are continuing to make as a public health agency. I mean, I think the monkeypox point is very important because uh, there are two elements of the monkeypox bungle, apparently, you know, uh, that are that that are suggestive of, of where we have been and why the mindset of this world of public health officials is so is is resistant to change and is going to be a gigantic problem going forward. Right. So. Monkeypox is a disease that is transmitted through anal sex with men. There, I said it. Come at me. It is an anal sex disease. There is not enough vaccine to vaccinate all of the people who engage in this kind of sex with multiple partners. If you don't tell the world that this is a disease that is focused and concentrated on a given small group, you will start having pressure exerted on doctors and on public health officials to make the vaccine readily available to people who are fearful of the disease, who have absolutely no risk factor involved in getting the disease. The and if you is, are not, yeah, God, everybody knows how this is transmitted. No, this is not not something that people are confused about. Okay. Really? No, but I have friends who are wearing masks again because they're worried about monkeypox. I got to interrupt you (laughs) because I have teenagers and they don't know. And both of my daughters asked me if they needed to be vaccinated for monkeypox. They're not, I mean, I sort of don't want to go into more detail about my daughters. This, but this I, but I, I have a, maybe I have a media literacy issue. No, no, no. no. no, no I, I, have, I have an Pierre adult Noah. friend. Hold yeah, on. Me too. Not, Many adult friends who are worried. They, they think it's airborne. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't a, know what it is because because Joe Biden didn't come out and say monkeypox is a disease. Is a, it is a it is a tragic condition uh, that is affecting gay men, and we are going to do everything we can to protect gay men from this scourge. That's all he or anybody needed to say. But guess what? Can't do that because it might cause a national homophobic panic. And as a result of not speaking, and you know, there are people, Josh Barrow, Andrew Sullivan, a whole bunch of people who are, you know, who are saying, like, this is crazy. It is crazy. You don't want to create competing constituencies when you don't have enough vaccine, especially in the wake of COVID, when everyone is so ready to be afraid of everything, if you're not clear in saying this, you are not at risk here um, because of X, Y reason, you're not you're not you're not part of the most at risk population. um, People are going to be absolutely immediately willing to stay in, mask up, do whatever. And I'm saying I had an adult friend not who's not sort of, you know, news illiterate um, who said, don't go to the sauna at the gym because you can get monkeypox there. This is shocking to me because it doesn't, you have to read between the lines, but the lines are, you know, really big. So you could really easily read between the lines. I get that no one's saying it for fear of the public, but that's a species of the very same condescension that affected the COVID outbreak because they're afraid of that's exactly of right. Americans that they're, you might be a ticking time bomb of 
violent bigotry. We can't fuel that in you that, by giving you accurate information. So now let's go back and ask whether the revisions and the and the reforms of the CDC that are being presented here are going to address in any way, shape, or form this habit among public health officials of worrying that the American people are so disgusting, so stupid, so immoral, so dominated by bias and hatred and illiteracy and all of that, that they all need to be guided like small children. No, it doubles in- down on it. Yeah, no, it doubles. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. It, it's actually going to double yeah. down on that way of that worldview within public health. And that's what the action part is about. It's like they, they're too stupid to understand our scholarly studies. Well, OK, so we'll just maybe we'll do some of that. But it's all about action. Something happens. We're going to act. We're going to act. And to say that to a population that has watched most of their supposedly decisive actions on multiple occasions backfire and actually undermine public health to hear that. Yeah, I think that's exactly what they're doubling down on. But that's why I do think ultimately this is just going to end. It's going to end badly if this is their idea of an overhaul. Um, public health officials don't want a lot of public, not CDC is a slightly different matter because it is it is a hard data agency. But we know that public health officials across the country that are not the CDC aren't even doctors. Barbara Ferrer of Los Angeles County is a, you know, got a MA in communications or something like that. Like this is not, and what they want is social control. They want to use public health as a form of social or to advance these different causes, Uh, you know, redirecting resources to uh, minority communities or, or, or putting new different kinds of pressure on people. a climate change skepticism by saying that climate change is a health is a health issue because we're depleting the ozone layer and then people are going to get more skin cancer. It doesn't matter. But this is what yeah. the, sorry to interrupt, but this is an important point because they they what those non-scientific public health, local public health officials have long had a relationship with the CDC where the CDC was like the good housekeeping seal of approval on any of the social schemes they might have had, right? And we saw this in, thrown into high relief during, during the masking debates, right? When it became clear that masking really wasn't doing much and we were having these cyclical rises and falls based on variants of the virus, and people started saying, let's take the masks off very young children, for example, people would say, these public health officials, local public health officials say, well, we just, we followed the CDC's guidance. Well, when that guidance was lifted or rolled back, they no longer followed the CDC guidance because, well, that's not, it's not strict enough. And we have community guidance now that we're going to devise. So the, the hypocrisy of those officials was shown, but they, that relationship with the CDC rubber as the sort of seal of approval on a lot of these schemes that broke down when the public turned on the CDC during COVID. So that doesn't work anymore. These local officials who want to say, well, now we're going to follow CDC guidance. They, they, they were cherry picking throughout the pandemic as to when they did that and who it was enforced upon. And it was, you know, wildly enforced on children when it needn't be and totally ignored when uh, particularly liberal publicly elected officials wanted to flout the rules. So that's over. They can't do that anymore. And I think the CDC doubling down on messaging isn't going to restore any sort of trust that the people who are the res- who feel the impact of those directives at the local level, they don't trust that the CDC is 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 the institution to look to for guidance anymore either. I want to return to this thing I said the other day because I think it's very key to understanding how these public agencies are going to function in our very divided political culture, which is that, again, we have two courts of public opinion, and we we are part of a world that is keenly aware that the public health 
bureaucracies or the, you know, writ large, if you could sort of knit them into an individual thing called the public health system, which it really isn't, but you could sort of say uh, that there is a crisis of confidence that people, that many people, people we know, people in our general ideological ambit uh, are angry, they're frustrated, they don't trust what's coming out, they've learned not to trust it, and then going further you know, down to the extremes, they're not going to vaccinate anybody anymore. They're not, not only are they not going to believe, they're going to believe that they're being told stuff that is uh, lying and deceitful uh, in order to advance specific political goals for people they don't like. And so not only are they going to, you know, not do it, but they're, they're going to, they're going to evangelize against what, what these people are doing. Right. And that is one of the two courts of public opinion in the United States. The other is, I love Fauci. You know, Fauci is the new, uh, you know, RBG. I mean, Fauci is, you know, let's put him on a T-shirt and we need and Rochelle will what what a what a you know, they're just they're working there for us. And it's really great. Look, it's New York's doctor, Dr. Choksi. And here's here's bar, here's this one. And, you know, they they get TV commercials in which they star and public health campaigns in which they they become leading officials. And then you have this very credulous second body of public opinion the body of public opinion that likes government that wants government to be in control and to take charge and wants to believe that these officials at least if they work in for democratic administrations are serving their interest and the cdc i hate to be like a sound like a naive and a pollyanna but i mean you have to pay attention to both even if you're joe biden like you can't think that you you know this is where trump came a cropper as a president he decided that the people who didn't vote for him he didn't have to pay not only didn't he have to pay attention to them he could offend them he could piss on them he could you know troll them and all of that and that is not good for the country i mean i don't want to do like goo goo stuff like that but if you are thinking about how to fix the cdc after two and a half years of crisis you have to say, well, we 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 have to figure out how to talk to these people, and we have to figure out how to talk to the people who don't like us. We can't say, well, they're all crazy and they're election deniers, and so we, you know, let's throw them off Twitter. Let's just throw them off Twitter. But see, that's the, you know, I mean, but that's, that's why their, the crisis yeah. of democracy talk—that's the void it fills. They actually don't want to treat people with respect. They don't want to figure out how to talk to that half of the country. The the deplorables, as Hillary called them, they want it's easier to say that group and mass with their behavior is a threat to democracy and we are going to save democracy. That's why it was such an appealing message post Trump, even during the Biden administration. It continues to give the left side of the aisle a lot of energy because they but it then prevents them, as you say, John, from actually having to govern everyone, not just their side. And in health issues and in communicable disease issues i'm sorry but you don't have that luxury i mean if we're actually talking about communicable diseases they do not know party and one of you know i think abe's the great point abe started to make in april of 2020 was everybody is going to dance with covid it wasn't clear how wasn't clear what but the idea that you could indulge in or you could adopt behaviors that were going to spare you from this disease, we now know 
is not true. Now, getting it now is a whole different thing from getting it two and a half years ago. But Jill Biden just got it. Joe Biden got it. My father, who is 92 and a half and has barely gone out of his apartment in the last two years, got it. We don't even know how he got it. Everybody is going to get it. Everybody has gotten it, may have already gotten it. And there was this kind of bizarre idea abroad that you could prevent yourself from getting it if you followed these rules. I mean, it wasn't bizarre. It was what you were being told was going to happen. Just do this to stop the spread. You wouldn't get it and you wouldn't spread it. So now, you know, we're now talking about what happens with the next set of circumstances, right? I mean, and and how we handle the next set of circumstances. And that is not, you're not going to be immune because you believe you 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 like you accept the results of the 2020 election and you're not you know i mean <laughs> so the whole idea that well there's no sense in even talking to these people which is fine i understand it even but i'm just saying like i, I don't do this for a living but they do this is their remit they are the public health bureaucrats of the united states and if you don't want everybody to get the flu and you still want people to get a flu shot, you better figure out how to talk to them so that they're all going to now not stop getting flu shots. Or if you don't want there to be a, re a revival of, of German measles and mumps, you're gonna, we're going to have to do something so that tens of millions of parents stop objecting to vaccinating their children this whole thing that happened over the last two years was a boot was a boom in the anti-vax movement because once you start insisting that kids get a vaccine they don't need and people say i'm not getting them vaccinated for this they're then going to say i'm not going to get them vaccinated for mumps which they desperately need to be vaccinated against lest mumps return and, you know, and it goes uh, sterilize and kill people. It goes back to my death of the official story point. Um, it's like, you know, once once you, you they people lose faith in, in, in the vaccine and the reporting on the vaccine and this, they say, well, what else is what else is not real that 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 we have been taking as gospel this whole time? Right, Abe. So. What we have here is uh, people who want to be credulous about what public health authorities tell them, and their credulousness then ties to their general ideological perspective, and then we have a situation like that in reverse, and that's the crisis that we're facing that this CDC uh, reform, which again, I want to repeat, people think is good as far as it goes and is has positive aspects as far as it goes people that i trust uh may not actually address the real real problem but we'll see where this goes in the days ahead uh we'll be back tomorrow for abe christina no i'm john pod keep the candle burning